Depending on you and how you got your your start in entrepreneurship, a lot of our audience are um, entrepreneurs or aspiring to be. So we kind of like to get a backstory to figure out how you transitioned into entrepreneurship. Sure. Yeah. I I started off. I I played um, hockey. Got into finance at a bank, and then decided to go on my own, become a mortgage broker. And then after um, my first year brokering, I became a partner of the firm. And then a year later, I bought out my partners. And then I had um, about six locations and about 60 agents that worked for me. Everything was great, but I was more of like an owner operator. And then there was no real value to a company there. And then eventually I met um, Tony Robbins at, at a, well, I was at, I won the award mortgage broker of the year in Canada. And then I had, I was asked to go on stage and kind of do these seminars and help out um, young brokers to grow their business. And I was kind of petrified about going on, going on stage for let alone public speaking for a minute or two, but uh, two or three hours on stage was like, Jesus, I got to find someone who's good at this and learn from them. So then I went to a couple, I went to one of his leadership Academy seminars and then I ended up meeting him through his brother-in-law actually I played hockey against. Um, so I got to meet him and then I got to work with him for a year and he kind of taught me a huge amount of um, valuable information about how to create a business and how to basically start with an exit plan, um, how you want to sell your business one day and then work backwards. And I was kind of feel like when I, before I met him, I was kind of like that big fish in the pond. And after I met him and went through and got to meet his network of friends, his network of um, colleagues and their businesses, I was like a draw, I was like a minnow in the ocean um, yeah. as far as the size of my company or if I had something to sell one day. So it was, it was definitely an eye opener for me. So I was lucky enough to meet him and you kind of, taught me how to change uh, the fundamentals of business and how to change that, how to change it and, and create an action plan for me over a year and how to do that. Man, so it sounded like, you know, for your case, uh, mentorship was key to a lot of your success, right? Do you feel like, how do, how do, you feel like, uh, is that like the same across all industries, like entrepreneurship seek mentorship, or do you feel like in some cases, um, you're just those rare instances to where you don't actually need mentorship? Well, I think I 100% think personally, in my opinion, that you need a mentorship no matter what, and, and no matter how good you are as well. Like, you know, he, even Tony Robbins told me who he, he works with somebody as well and talks to him about certain things. And Tiger Woods has, has always in his prime had a swim coach and, a, you know, a fitness coach and a brain coach. And so yeah. I think there's never a finish line to anything. Growth is always, that's the beauty about being human is that you can always expand and be better at something else. But I think people that, think they don't need a mentor and people think that they can just hit it, they, you know, they can strike gold once potentially they can get lucky and do so. But I think in the long run, you always want to have someone you're chasing to be better for a better, a better version of, yeah. and if it's business life and, or being a dad, I think that's uh, I think that's important to have. Yeah, for sure. So our platform is called Cosign Magazine, which is basically saying that um, we co-sign support, give entrepreneurs temple approval to kind of help, uplift their platform as well right so who was your first co-signing business like who was like the first person was it tony robbins or, or who was the first person that kind of saw the potential in you like hey i want to help you i want to support your business and help you kind of get to the next level that's, that's a good question um it wasn't tony robbins and it wasn't offered to me like the way you mentioned it was it was uh um i wanted to be the best broker in the country. I want to be number one for volume. I never got to that point, but I finished and that was my target. And I finished, the highest I finished was six. It was fourth a few times, six, 
five around that range. But I think if my target was to finish in top 10, I would barely get into the top 10. So I think whenever you want to set your goal to the highest potential being number one, if you kind of fall short, you, you, you just focus on how to get better, how to get better, how to get better. And then when you get there, it's like, well, how can I make sure I stay here? Right. So I don't think there's ever an ending to that. But I, I, what I did is I, I got into the industry and then I, I just researched who was the best in the industry. And then whenever there was a golf tournament or a fundraiser or a trade show, I would try to find the, you know, someone who was organizing it. And like a golf example would be examples for golf. This is what happened a few times mm-hmm. is I would sponsor a hole, but on the condition that I got to play with us with a particular person in the tournament. <laughs> so I got to play with, you know, the best, uh, brokers in the world and I got to sit them in the golf cart for four and a half hours and I I've been lucky enough to be able to play golf when I was young and I was pretty good at it so having a really good golf game or a decent golf game compared to an average golfer not a pro um, build like instant like rapport with um, with these type of people so I you know explain them I'm near the industry I want to learn from you what do you and I just ask them questions and because they weren't particularly in my backyard and competing against each other because Canada is a big country I would like source out the best people you know maybe in Toronto and I was in Vancouver so it would never be someone who had to be competing um, in the same province with mm-hmm. so um, they taught they were really they I so I, I really went after and found those people and got myself around them okay. and then asked a bunch of questions and, and learned from them. and the thing is that with me I think that separates like Greg Martell compared to the average person is that I I, I, I want to execute things. So if I do something like, and my mind's to it, I'm going to do it. And, and if I'm learning something and I want to do, I'm going to go ahead and do it. Even if I, it's the wrong decision, I'll go in face first and take the hit and learn from it. But um, I don't like, I, I just don't like people who are flaky, who use the, you know, who use words to explain them and then have no back. No, there's no back to them. It's just, they can't back it up. So I think I've heard people say that one thing, I, he, him and his team, they, they execute it. So it's, it's, it's one thing that I've learned from being around those people is that if I'm going to spend the time to source out and learn from the best of the best, I want to make sure I, I freaking execute it. So I did for right. sure. So, you know, being, you know, being the best and one of the best and, you know, in, in mortgage business, how do we get to today to where um, you created share your, your latest company? Like we're, not, not only where the idea come from, but the, to execute, are you still doing both at the same time or is, or how's your work process like now and creating share? So, yeah. So I shifted, I shifted away. I was investing in Canada and in the province of British Columbia. If you, I was making okay money or decent money and, and um, for, there's a high tax bracket in Canada and, and specifically where I love um, lived. And uh so if you, one of the little wrinkles in the tax code was if you invested in a technology startup in British Columbia, you got 35% of your investment back as a tax credit. Oh, so I was investing every year, 50 grand, hundred grand, this and uncertain companies. And I lost in all the like lost all my money in all of them. Um, and then eventually there's two other companies. One was a real estate tech company. One was um, the kind of an accounting background slash insurance platform and uh and i i like the i like the idea of, of trying I, I sat on the board with that one and I, and, I, and the ideas that these guys had were good but they were all for their like, one particular persona of individual which were very analytical type people so it wouldn't sell to like that 
80% of the people that, that, um, that would want to acquire that or took the time to onboard themselves. So I slowly got into entrepreneurship by accident, but through tax credits. And then, and then I realized that, Hey, you know what, this, this is, you know, I think I got, no, I shouldn't say, I think the first three or four, I lost, you know, 50, 60 grand on. And then this last one, I, I had more money into it. Cause I really believed in, I think it would, but as I learned more about business, yeah. I start realizing that you can have great ideas and everyone can love your ideas, but like it has to be, there has to be a space and a need and a want for it in the, in the actual, uh, in the actual, uh, in, you know, ecosystem you want to launch it into. Um, so you really have to build with what the market wants, particularly what you think is a good idea and your friends and family think it's a good idea. Um, you you got to really go out there and make sure you're building something that is a need, a need for somebody, not just a, you know, a want. Mm-hmm. So, um, I bought out most of the shareholders. They kind of walked away and some, you know, got back some of their investment and I pivoted into a different type of uh, technology that was, I had a lot of rental properties at the time. It was more of a kind of catering to myself. And I kind of stumbled into the idea of like, well, I should just sell this and I should do that. And anyway, so I, it was luck being in the right place at the right time. And, um, and, you know, there was no easiness to the story. Like I can, I end up selling it, um, and then then I started a mortgage technology company called Shopper Corp, and then got onto Share um, because one of my cars got st- a car got stolen at my house, apartment building here in Orange County, and I just bought it and I lost like thirty grand driving it off the lot, mm-hmm. and then it got stolen, had like thirty grand worth of damage, so now like it's like two months later, the car is worth if I'm lucky half of what I bought it. So I tried to find ways to make the money back. And then I found, you know, a few companies that did peer to peer car sharing, uh, tried it out, found out there was a big, big gap and big opportunity in that sector where um, even the best that were in the industry were missing some valuable key points of long-term stability. They don't have that fundamental down or they did and they don't carry out. So I got into share that way. So we officially launched share um, on the 1st of February, but we've been live since um, end of September, kind of like a beta launch. Okay. So that's kind of fell into it. I, I ended up selling a company that it was that I pivoted and, um, and it was sold to um, VRBO, which was just before I sold, it was acquired by Airbnb, was acquired by uh, Expedia. Okay. Um, so it was it was um, a trade show I was at uh, as a guest of Airbnb, and then I ended up going to uh, I ended up meeting somebody through Microsoft, a Microsoft person I met one night, introduced me to an, um, an Expedia person, and the next thing you know, a few months later, it was a it was a done deal. But um, yeah, that was it was honestly I so as I got into it, I felt like um, it's what I want to do, but. It, but the big part that I was missing is that I didn't have staff on the technology. It was a stack. It was just a stack of development of tech that I ended up selling that worked in their companies. And not if I thought to build my own company, I never even thought of that, but to be honest. So when I got into chaperone, I created the digital platform, but there's so many rules and regulations. And what I learned in the U S that every state runs so independently Compared to Canada, like if you're licensed here, you could have a whole different criteria of uh, regulation you need to get for the next state next to you. And the next state to that, you might need a tenth of that type of regulation. So it's just all over the map. Mm-hmm. So the industry in mortgage and finance is very ar- archaic. 
And um, so we're, we're, you know, we're okay in that industry right now. We have technology that we build out, but um, a lot of my attention now is on share because I feel like there's a great opportunity for people to um, look at their vehicle and car payment in a different way. People call cars assets all the time, but they lose value consistently um, as, the, as the age. And the house, if you look at history, goes up in value, right? So um, if there's a way that you can get paid and drive nice cars at the same time and they pay for themselves and you don't even really have to work. If you have enough cars, you'll have enough to make, you know, make enough money to pay all your bills, all your car payments and save some money. You know, we want to teach people that. So it's coming from the angle and trajectory from the mortgage sector where we saw so many credit applications where people were getting denied and declined, not declined, but say you want to, you and your spouse want to buy a, a property that's, a million dollars, right? right. Um, and you guys qualify for that, but you have a car payment for $750, but now that car payment knocks your qualification down to like 750. So then you can't get that house to greens because of that car payment. But if you had that car or two cars and one of your cars would always go out as a rental, you know, and you guys shared a car and when it was a rental, you used it, um, that enough, if it just rented for 15 to 20 days of that month, it would pay for both car payments and probably your mortgage payment. So with two years of that income, you would qualify for a much higher income, a much higher mortgage. Yeah. So, and, and it costs you nothing to, to load the car on our app. You only get charged when it gets rented, a small little fee. Right. So it's like an Airbnb, but for cars. So that, that's where I thought there was a good opportunity for people, um, especially down the road, autonomous vehicles and self-driving vehicles, having a network of those cars in the market where people don't own, most people don't own cars and they can just use our app to, to schedule pick up and drop offs mm -hmm. and um, self-driving vehicles will pick them up and drop them off and so on. So that's kind of where we're going and where we're, where we're kind of planning to be, but that's kind of like where it started and how we got to where we are now. And that's, that's amazing. Uh, let me ask you this, just a little, go back a little bit. So when you were at that point to where your car, um, you were trying to find a way to make, you know, the money back from your car, when you were trying those platforms before you started share, did, did it actually work? Did you, were, were you able to recoup some of those costs using those peer-to-peer -peer platforms? Yeah. So we, um, I, I got a, another car from that insurance situation mm -hmm. and then I found, we tested different, different, uh, different peer-to-peer um, -peer car sharing companies mm -hmm. and we used one for a little while. And um, I think the first month we made 4,500, I made $4,500 in net in the first month. On a, on a on a G wagon, and then we got a Ferrari. Um, and I said we as my business partner um, was a part of the situation at that point, and then uh, that's sort of making some good money. But the Ferrari would only rent for eight or nine days a month. So think about this for a second. Mm -hmm. You own a Ferrari, yeah. it rents for eight days, say ten days a month, okay? Um, but it rents for significantly higher than an average car. Um, the other cars rent for 20, 25 days. But say you have a Ferrari. And it only rents for that 10 days a month. There's 20 days of that month that Ferrari is yours, the drive. Right. And, and those 10 days that it rents out pays the Ferrari off mm -hmm. and your other car off and more money left over. No, so it, it is, you know, I wish I thought of them when I was much younger because because <laughs> uh, I would have been able to drive a lot. And I'm like, it's it's all I, it's surreal in a way. I, I leave the office and I drive these amazing vehicles home. And I'm making money every month doing it. Right. And it's just something that it's financial. It's teaching people how to be more financially fiscal and, and say, hey, you have this thing in your driveway that can make you money. Change your behavior pattern of like what your day to day is. Um, you know, I would be gladly 
I would feel I'd be happy to Uber um, home one day because I have no cars left. Right. Right. Because you're making money. Yeah. And that's a message that we have to start showing our advertising is that um, that's where we want to go with it. You can you can take the bus home or Uber home, um, but you're making you know a bunch of money off your car. So. I do like that aspect of storytelling. Um, I've been on your, your Instagram page and I do like the, the ads you guys have right now where, you know, it's quick. It's kind of almost like, uh, like, a, like, a, like a high quality reel or TikTok the way you guys are doing it. And I like how yeah. that, you know, it makes me, it's relatable. It's like, hey man, I'm doing a photo shoot for a brand. I want to upgrade my car. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's accessible right there on your phone. So, yeah, I know it's, it, the, we have some really good marketing people working with our company too right now. So it's been awesome for sure. Uh, that's awesome. So let me ask you this. So we share, I want to say the tagline is what luxury on demand. Is that correct? Yeah, it's not our, our official tagline, but we're using that right now for sure. Yeah. So for, for your idea customer who's coming on to share, is it more for like luxurious vehicles or can they get like a, you know, maybe like a standard uh, Altima or something they need day to day? Or are these mainly targeted for like luxurious vehicles? We're going to have two different tiers. We're going to have like a luxury, um, like platform, like platinum kind of style, higher end cars. And we'll have the day to day vehicles right now. Um, most of our marketing, most of our stuff is kind of marketing to higher end vehicles or high, and when I say higher end, I mean like 60, 70 grand and up kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also are very, um, we're very, um, strict with who we approve to list a car and to rent a car. Like, way beyond our competitors so it's more difficult to be approved to be a driver on at share than any other any other company in 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 our industry um which you know as a host i may feel like they're going to have less rides um and they're going to have less revenue but in the end um they're going to save their car will last longer Mm -hmm. um and they'll have less headache and um and the car will be on the road more than it would be if you if you just rent it to anybody, it gets damaged. It gets it has little things happen here and there, and it's just not available to be rented anymore for a week or two weeks. Or it's in a fender bender, it could be a couple months. So by by doing more being more diligent up front and having your car more available long term is going to give you the, the whole our um, our uh, owners um, much a much better end result and a much better experience with our platform any customer service than they would with anybody else. That for sure makes sense. And I don't want to hold you too much longer. I'll have two more questions. Um, no, it's okay. Okay, cool. So um, what I want to know, man, so as um, I read in your bio through like, you're a successful business owner, right? And you said becoming a successful business owner is because you understand business, cycle, business life cycles, right? Can you elaborate yeah. on that for our audience about business life cycles and, and how you align your life cycle with shared life cycle? Yeah, that's a good question. How did, 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 did Raquel give you that one? I want to hear more about that. It's amazing. Yeah, no more. I was just going to pull it up here. Oh, no, that's cool. I even like the... Um, the example you gave of how um, this might be something different. The example you gave of how Blockbuster passed on Netflix, like if you yeah. about that, that was <laughs> they, that was that was really a great example. Yeah. So so how it works is there's there's three people. Whenever you're acquiring a company or a business, 
or you want to start a business, there's three different life cycles you have to look at. One is the industry of that, of that, like this industry age, like where is it? Is it, is it in its prime? Is it fairly new? So use Blockbuster as an example, like video, VHS, they went to CD, they thought, you know, they were making those changes. And then when they had the opportunity to acquire Netflix for like 50 million, they stepped back and the decision was they don't see anybody, they can't see people watching movies online or streaming them. So um, then that when that became, when Netflix came out and that became something that was very inexpensive and you can watch movies, now the whole behavioral pattern switch and it like blows my mind that back in the days to go to blockbuster get the popcorn and i used to enjoy walking down the aisles and looking and finding a, a movie i want to rent or a video game even so um you have to uh, you have to understand the life cycle of cd cd in, in movies were ending and there was this new era coming in and they never adapted so you always and mortgage is the same thing there's a, the, like now because of covid the financial structure of of the banking system and lending across the board is changing you can see a notary online now you can go, you don't have to go to see somebody you don't have to go um you can do virtual tours you can buy a property that's meeting anybody you get a mortgage that's meeting somebody so it, the fun everything is becoming more digitalized and the mortgage life cycle, like the industry was so past its prime mm -hmm. that it needed a new like digital kind of start, right? And Rocket Mortgage has been doing that for um, for the mortgage side for a while now. But the stages are like, you, you kind of want to make sure that you as the owner, where you line up in your life cycle stage. So um, are you past your prime or are you, are you can you work so hard? You have to line up the industry where the industry is and then you line up where the company is. If it's a brand new idea, like shares is an infancy stage. Like it's a newborn baby two right. months ago. And then your next stage from that is like, you know, a toddler. Can it walk by itself? Can it, you know, climb the stairs? Could it, you know, could it feed, can it feed itself? And then you get into the teen years, which is another, another stage in adulthood. And it gives you like, okay, adulthood is like, you, you want to make sure that you're, you're about to get to your prime. You're, you have an extra strategy, um, you're pro very profitable. And then, then after you, you want to sell it, right? But right at your adult, right before the prime or at the prime. Um, you're aging gracefully would be the next stage. And then after that, it would go to like, um, you know, the industry dying off and slowing down and things change. And there's, there's that industry does, doesn't exist anymore. So um, we, I always think of what could take us out, what could take me out. And um, you know, my business partner and I are looking at getting uh, bank machines, buying a bunch of bank machines, ATM machines. And of all, when I was younger, I always wanted to do so. But the more and more, I'd, they're coming up for sale now, which they never used to. Right. And I, I was thinking, well, why are they? It's because the restaurants and bars are closed and their revenue's down. That could be a reason. But then the more and more I think about it, I never really ca carry cash anymore. A lot of companies now are tap your credit card and go, and no one really carries cash. So it would, that's when I look back and go, what could take out that investment? What could take out that business is that everything is on a credit card that you just tap and walk away. And now Prime, Amazon Prime, like you just log, you just swipe your account number or your card on the grocery store like um, food cart. And then as you put items into the cart, it scans automatically and you walk right out of the store. So you don't even need an ATM machine. 
You don't even need a tap or a visa. You just need an account with Prime. So then you, that's one of the, so now I'm stepping back thinking, well, I don't want to buy a business that, that's aging and it's out of its prime because it really is. Unless the cash, I don't even see cash being a thing in 20 years from now. I think everything will be like a chip and you just swipe, it comes right out of your account. Like no one will ever be carrying it. Like all digital currency. Yeah. So man, you also brought up an amazing point about an exit strategy. Do you have, do you ever get any emotional ties to business? Like, or, or is it like you are, I know you said earlier, you go into it with an exit strategy. So at any moment, you know that you'll be willing to, to sell your companies or do you, are you mostly tied to them? Yeah, I think that's a great, another good question. Like, so, you know, one of the things I learned is that when you build a business, you build the kind of like backwards up or upside down. So I want to kind of like, and people that are close to me know this is that I think of like what I want, what I want to build, what the capacity of that could be. And then just say, I want to have a billion dollar company. I look at the, how much revenue that would have to create to get that value on a monthly basis, yearly basis, monthly basis, and, annual, um, and then work backwards how many people I need, how much staff, and then where I am today. And it gives you the runway. It's like a, um, it's called like a bottom up budget. Um, and what that does is it gives you the idea that every decision I make or my business partner makes is I want, and I want, he's a lot younger than me. So I want to teach him that every decision we make is so important for, because it has to be tied in with our exit strategy. So everything that we do, we have to understand that when we get funded or someone acquires us and we sell that it's in line with what we want in the end. Right. So to, to get emotionally attached to the business, to not want to sell it. No, I, I think what I like the most about, about being an entrepreneur uh, is taking an idea at lunch and then turning into three years later, two years later, having 50 employees that have a mortgage, have families, have kids and your, and your idea is supporting these, these, your employees and your staff. And that makes it's just such a, a fulfillment internally of like gives you it gives me a lot of happiness, but I think what I love would love to do is be in a situation where I take ideas and companies and get them to the point where they get the prime and sell them consistently. Um, and, and if that never happened, I own this company for generations and my kids took it over and his kids took it over. That'd be super cool too, but I would never like get emotionally excited about my kids taking over my company because I think that was more of like our parents generation right. and then now it's like you want to have these exits because these exits are like it could be generational wealth right and last knowing business is that something could always take you out so if you can get out and get an exit then take it and do something else fun but you you want to be the people taking people out you want to be the, you want to be the entrepreneur that has the you know the disruptive mentality of of breaking industries apart and and collapsing the weak. So you're you but you never want to be the person that like doesn't think it's you're you're never going to go down you'll never lose and it's going to be like this forever. So I think that's why I don't get emotionally attached is because I I want my favorite part is taking this this idea and getting it to. Um, you know, the zone of maturity, they call it. Um, it's called the zone of maximum maturity. So you go birth, infancy. So the idea is birth, infancy, toddler stage, teenager, young adult, and the zone of maximum maximization of maturity, which means your, your profits and your costs are, you have a, the highest amount of profitability 
and that's your zone where you want to sell. It might be right before the peak or just right at the peak or right after the peak. Um, and then and, this, and, and then at that point, you go midlife valuation, your company's aging, then you're institutionalized when you're like the airlines are institutionalized right now. Airlines are, the government's supporting them so that you don't, you don't want to start an, air, an airline company today. <laughs> you don't want to start a bank. You don't want to start a bank today. You don't want to start a hotel chain today. So right. those are all aging and institutionalized um, sectors right now. Doesn't mean they're going to be there forever, but they, they could change and go somewhere in a different direction. But you, you know that's that's how you're going to read the chart. Ah, for sure, bro. And my my last question to tie this all up, man. So with you being in two different industries, like how do you view your competitors and see what they're doing, see what's next, but also stay in your lane? I feel like a lot of time entrepreneurs and businesses spend so much time focused on what other people are doing. Sometimes they may get lost um, trying to do what they do. But how do you? research but also remain your, your true self yeah I, I i don't i don't want to look at what my competitors are doing ever i want to i want to build something for the consumer so i want to know what the consumer wants and deliver it to them at a high level of execution and service um and if you do that if you can fundamentally do that and execute that which is not easy to do um you don't you, you never want to follow your competitor just be a little bit better than these guys you just want to you want to build something for in my situation was um, I tried the competitors out and I felt like there was a massive uh, disconnect as a, as someone who was listing a car and the opportunity to, to understand my point of view and, and, and be able to um, teach the host and the owners how to be more profitable and how to grow the, and more. They don't, our competitors don't look at that. So I didn't come up with that on my own. It's just like, the stuff I've read in business is like, and Steve Jobs would always quote it too, much better than I have, I have ever, um, is that people have great ideas all the time and people think they need to build their idea and then the market's just going to love it. But what you got to do is figure out what the market wants. And I was fortunate enough to be in the market as that person. And I saw what I wasn't getting. So we built our company based on um, the, the experience I had in the industry and I feel like because of the mortgage background and the finance background, and if we can teach people how to take something that sits in the driveway or sits idle for 22, 23 hours a day, but right. you pay for it um, 100% of the time and um, into a revenue stream when you're not working, when you can be at home or you can be, at, you know, you can be with your friends and you're sleeping, you're making money. Right. Like that's pretty cool. So t- I always said, if I can teach, if I can make financial literacy cool, I would be a billionaire and, and or the first person to do that. The first, not me, but if the first person that can make financial shit cool is going to be a billionaire because people don't go to parties and talk about finances. They don't talk about like leveraging this and our, or, you know, investing this and buying the majority of the, of the people that live on this planet, 80, 90%. They talk about sports. They talk about this, they talk about that. It's not, and that's cool to talk about. And I'm not knocking that. And I'm that person too. Right. But if we can create a tool or something that can give people um, the opportunity to discuss it more because that's not taught in school. It's just right. not taught in school, right? Entrepreneurship, being an owner, being able to grow a business, how to build a business, how to buy a business, how to um, execute from an idea to a sale. That's not taught, right? So um, you have to go out and figure it out yourself by the people that have done it. And, um, you know, I've been lucky along the way, but I tell you what, it is a lot of work to be, you know, and the part that I like the most about the, 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 the being a, an owner is the hardest parts. 
is the idea, the birth to MNC to Prime. You can buy a business at Prime and you can, you can be very excited about it. And then that sector can grow and your business can grow. But if you're not really good at understanding where you're buying and where your industry is, and you don't know what to innovate and how to innovate, take the next step higher, then you just go down with that, right? So um, the hardest parts is the birth to toddler stage. You go birth, MNC, toddler. Those are the hardest parts. Cause like you hire people that don't know your product that well. Some of you people don't even know that it even works properly. Sure. Right. So when you get to, when you get past that stage and it starts to become more consistent and the proof of concepts there and the tech works, then it's fun. Then it's fun. Not for sure. So man, to kind of wrap us up, I want to know two things, two different things. One, um, tell us what you have planned for share, share alone in 2021, and then leave us um, with like a motivational or a business gem that people can take from that and then, you know, apply to their business. Yeah, I think I think we're we our goal for share in 2021 is to be able to be in all 50 states by this calendar year, um, and um, a big part. Uh, I think we are well. We we we're in four states right now, but we're going to be in about 12 to 15, 12 to 15 by March. Um, but uh, so we want to be in all states by the end of the year, and um, and a big part of the word share isn't just for share your car. Um, it's also, we want to share a portion of our profits to end um, sex trafficking for kids. So I think a motivational part for me is, is to keep the company growing as quickly as possible, earning as quickly as possible. So we can have um, as a group, as a team, as a company can see us contribute to some, to these children that are getting stolen and, and being sold boys and girls um, for, and, and trying to contribute to that. And that, um, also, uh, mental, like just mental health, just more awareness of that and feeding America. Those are three big pillars for us. So moving forward, you know, to mo what motivates our company, myself and Garrick is, is, uh, be, having the opportunity to have a vehicle, a vertical like this to earn, um, you know, earn uh, revenue to be able to contribute to something that's more than us, bigger than us, um, and see that that kind of result and happiness and return from the kids and, and, and people getting a, a resource to understanding that being sad isn't um, uncommon um, it, and it's more common than not and, and so on. So, yeah. Man, that's amazing, man. So uh, people who get share a portion of the proceeds goes to Operation Underground Railroad um, yeah. partnership. And I, I love the message. I love what you guys are doing that share, man. And I definitely appreciate your time, Greg. Um, you dropped a lot of the business gems on us, so our audience will get to this. Um, All right, cool. So, yeah, thanks for your time, and uh, we're looking forward to Thank you. To nice to meet you. Yeah. I'm sure this won't be the last time, but you have a great day. <laughs> you too. Thanks again. All right. Thanks, All right. Bye.